Welcome back to Pixel Splitters, everybody. This is a discussion show where two guys converse about movie, TV, and a little bit of camera tech news. As always, we are your two hosts. My name is Josh. And my name is Willis. And it is super hot out today, Willis. Um, I'm dying. It's Yeah, it's in the mid-90s and has been in the mid-90s for the past couple days. And we are uh, Northeasterners. So yes. that's not something that we're typically exposed to all the time. Yes. And we're not taking it very well. So, no. um, yeah, so that's that's what we're going through right now. Oh. And we can't have our air conditioners running because we're recording sound for you fine people. Exactly. So I've got fans, but they're not on high, and I know, and I can definitely tell that they're not on high right now. Everyone appreciate how much we're sacrificing. For exactly. You right now. This is a this is a struggle right now. I'm just kidding. We love doing this stuff. It's true, but it's hot. <laughs> but as always, we've got a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about today. We're going to be going over uh, a Quiet Place Part Two, which just premiered over the pa- actually not last weekend, but the weekend before, and we're going to talk a little bit about the current box office stats and kind of what that's what that means for everything and how the film industry has kind of weathered the storm of of COVID nineteen in all of twenty twenty. We're then going to be talking about AMC and a bunch of interesting stuff that's been happening recently with their. Uh, their stocks and the ownership of their company and just uh, like how that's going to be changing the way that their company is potentially going to be run in the future, which is going to be hopefully an interesting conversation. And then a little bit later, we're going to go into Cruella and more than just talking about that specific film, we're going to go into animated live action adaptations. And it's mostly going to be a conversation about why that is why people why indeed (laughs) why the hell people keep doing it and at the end we're going to wrap it up with director's cuts and my personal uh my theory is that i think that auteurs and director's cuts are going to kind of start to become normal versus studio interference in the in the okay but you have to go sit in the corner right now for referring to Zack snyder as an auteur i have to give him credit where it's his vision is clearly his vision. <laughs> it's very clear cut. Uh, I'll, I'm just that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay? okay, okay, all right. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but let's get into it. Okay, let's just get into the first topic, which is uh, a Quiet Place Part Two and how it fared in the box office. Um, yes. Right on the heels of COVID nineteen, like this is one of the first movies that was released. Um, right as a lot of mask mandates are starting yeah. to kind of, so I feel like we should we should qualify. Uh, we are both in Massachusetts, and yes. Massachusetts mask mandate lifted on May 29th. Yep. So we're like just over a week into like don't have to wear a mask really to go anywhere kind of world. Yep. Which is super freaky. Yes. But also, night. I don't know. It's freaky. <laughs> It's uh, it's off putting just because you go a year yeah. without seeing people's faces, um, and yes. it's hot. So it's like, I'm glad it couldn't yes. have really it couldn't have come at a better time. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a quiet place too. I mean, to to start out, like a quiet place too just came out, like you said, uh, and its opening weekend did forty eight million dollars. Which the big comparison here is uh, a quiet place one, which was just called a quiet place. Mm. That had an opening weekend of fifty million dollars. So we're looking at like very comparable box office opening weekends, which is pretty cool. It, it surprised me a bit, but it's also really reassuring because I didn't yeah. know for a long time what was going to happen when everything. Yeah, came back. it's it's kind of like I feel like for for us, it's kind of the first like realization that like yeah, theaters aren't dead. There's still people out there willing to go to a theater um especially for what i haven't seen a quiet place too but like for what i'm i've heard is pretty good filmmaking and pretty good uh a pretty good movie altogether yeah so like yeah it's it's interesting it's weird that like it kind of at least in this little instance it kind of feels like the box offices and the theaters haven't really skipped a beat in terms of their profits and things like that absolutely and for an industry that whether you're just watching from the outside or you're working in it, it's super unstable all the time. Not just because, yeah. like, you know, a lot of filmmakers are freelancers and there's no guarantee ever that anything is going to make money in the end. 
Oh, yeah. Like, if you took, like, the whole COVID situation out of this, like, the possibility that A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2 have nearly identical opening weekends, regardless, is is a very slim or small chance. Like, it could be any number of things that completely change that situation. Absolutely. Like, for me, it it's showing me how universal movies are because like not all art mediums are something that everyone can consume and enjoy on a regular basis but movies and music to some extent too but movies really are like it's i don't know it's really reassuring for me to see this stuff because people like i went to see a quiet place over the last weekend and there was Mm -hmm. a ton of people there not a ton like it wasn't completely full obviously because there's still restrictions in place but there was enough people there on the second weekend that I was like, this is people care about yeah. this stuff, and it really does make an impact. And I think there's a level to which that, like, going to the movies, and I know certainly for me, like, going to the movies is a return to normal that, like, I feel like a lot of people are looking for. Absolutely. You know, so. Do you think that whatever happens with, uh, you know, James Bond and some of the bigger films that are coming out? Do you think that streaming services or some of those bigger companies are going to start to reconsider their 45 day window? Because they were like, okay, they're not going to make any, they're pretty much prepared for them not to make as much yeah. money in this in this sense. I mean, that's a tough call. Because like, all right, so you figure they're like, okay, like we have to put it out in theaters so people can go to theaters, you know? Right. But if there's consistent appeal if there's like a consistent box office performance like yeah like what you're saying not including like the james bonds and the avengers and all that kind of stuff like if the smaller films are still performing to a level that's more than they're expecting possibly Mm -hmm. um i think the question becomes is like like with that you can't really look at like oh yeah like what are the box office opening weekends what are the because they're going to make that money regardless it's like what happens with this film after it's been out for a month and a half true you know what i mean and like i i don't know how many movies like i don't even know what the answer to this would be like of how many movies perform really well after a month and a half like how much of their profit is in that section i think actually i'm gonna do some research and and see what i can find out about that because like i mean if you know if the general statistic is say you make 20 percent of your box office in those second 45 days that i could see like yeah okay even like 20 percent might be a little hot you know like that i could see it being like a thing that's not really worth fighting for if you think you're going to be able to make it through i don't even know i we have this conversation all the time but i don't even know what the like metric is there through it's like not ad sales it's through member subscriptions but like yeah like active member subscriptions yeah yeah like i don't know how i don't know what the comparison is between 45 days in a movie theater versus on a streaming platform 45 days earlier um right but i mean i I, i'm sure there's math there and i'm sure well i feel like there's two sides of it i feel like there's a level to which there's math and they're going to follow the math. And I think there's also a level to which there's probably a lot of executives out there that are like, yeah, no theaters are done. We're just going to stream, stream, stream. And I think it's would take a lot to break them from that mentality these days. True. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I think it's weird because you're thinking about it or at least for them, it's like, okay, with subscriptions, you're getting a pretty steady stream of income every month no matter what ha- no matter yeah. what happens releases or not and i think i mean yeah it would it would, it would definitely take some more research cuz seeing what like if people are actively subscribing to see like you know the third conjuring movie on hbo max versus going to, to the theaters to see it cuz that was one yeah. that released this weekend and it was a simultaneous you could watch it for free on hbo max if you have it or you can go see it in the theaters type thing yeah and i don't know what the difference there is versus like if people are actively subscribing because of the conjuring three and then staying with it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's like, it's like the subscription model is kind of, you can kind of disregard the quality of the content to a degree. Like, so if a film comes out in the theaters and it's bad, people aren't going to go and see it in the theaters. Right. But if it comes out on a streaming service, and I already subscribe to the streaming service. 
you're already getting my money regardless whether or not I watch this bad movie. True. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those, it's arguably a more like stable profit avenue. Definitely. What's the phrase I'm looking for there? Um, like source revenue stream, revenue stream. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Like that's, if you're, if you're looking at from it, if you're looking at it purely from like an economic point of view, like the streamers are like probably a more like stable stream, but I don't know. I, I, that could go either way. But that makes me nervous now that you say that because it's, then the quality control goes down because you don't have to care about, okay, the studio is going to release five movies this year. What are those five movies going to be? Or, you know, we have pilot season. We're only picking up like two shows this season or that's ridiculous. But, you know, um, (laughs) but like it, but like it's different because it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, they do cancel shows when they're clearly nobody likes them, but yeah, it largely doesn't matter for movies because they'll just live on the platform forever whether someone watches it or not. Yeah. And it doesn't matter as much if it's good. That's, mm, that's, I don't know about that. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, and like, that's the kind of thing that's like, yeah, like, like you're feeling like stressful to think about of like, like the box office was a very tangible if you had a good box office, it meant you made a good movie, which meant you could continue to make good movies, which meant you could like grow as a filmmaker and all this kind of stuff. Whereas like if you make something and get it signed on for Netflix and Netflix is kind of like, it's fine. We're just going to dump it on the platform. Maybe a few people will watch it. And we'll go from there. There's not as much on the line and there's not as much of a challenge to grow in that kind of capacity, if that makes sense. Totally. So it's like it, it, paints a weird path for filmmakers as well it totally does and i honestly think that we'll like waiting to see whether the oscars or i don't even know what bodies of like voting bodies there even are anymore because they keep getting doing stupid things but yeah i think it'll be semi-determined determinant of if they're going to start including those films because we saw or at least i think we last year we saw a massive level up in terms of the filmmaking that is sure. going on on uh prime like there was so many films well all the yeah films oh absolutely had to be uh picked and uh and curated from streaming services which i think was largely the fact in due to the fact that they had to and they were actually going to be counting these films in the you know the academy yeah. awards so it's it's interesting to think about because i'm like i'm going through this and i'm like okay yeah so in my head i'm like yeah like netflix dumps a bunch of stuff on their platform. And I say dumps, but like, I, I don't mean that in a, like a negative kind of turn. Like you right. know, stuff just ends up on Netflix. Yep. But Netflix also has its, you know, 10, 15 X like films that it posts, that it really pushes. And it really is like, these are things that you have to watch, be they blockbusters or be they, uh, you know, Oscar contenders or whatever, things like that. True. But then there's like also a bunch of stuff that they release. that's just kind of either, distribution acquisitions or kind of maybe not Netflix originals, but things that they're just like, I think people would watch this and they put on. Mm-hmm. So like if you consider that Netflix has their like 10 or 15 major things, like that's not far off from like what a studio would do. True. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the average films that are put out per year by a studio is. Right. Um, that was a terrible sentence. <laughs> Okay. But like it, it's not like it's usually I feel like around like ten to twenty or so films, depending on the studio. Mm-hmm. So like, if Netflix is doing that and that's their top tier stuff that they're really pushing, and that but they're still putting out a bunch of stuff. Like when you frame it like that, that to me makes it seem pretty cool. And I know I'm like contradicting myself from like five minutes ago, but like if it's a distribution venue for people that normally like wouldn't get picked up by a studio or like would just be like not have their films shown or put anywhere, but like Netflix is willing to be like, Hey, yeah, like we'll put it up, see if we can get something out of it Yeah, or Amazon or Hulu or whatever. That's pretty cool. Honestly. Yeah. It it's, but it's weird. It's like a double edged sword because yeah. there's, there are huge, potential well there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of 
like potential upsides to all of this stuff. And there's a lot of, like some of my favorite stuff is Netflix produced. Yeah. But I think it's the fact that we don't understand the metrics of how you gauge all of the like the success of what's happening yeah. <laughs> with each of these uh, you know. Well, and that's projects. that's the tough part cuz it's like there's like this could either be a super positive thing or a super negative thing depending on what's going on in like Netflix boardrooms which right. we have no insight into. Exactly. Exactly. So, could be good, could be bad. Uh, I'm going to lean on good. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. We're far away from our original topic here. But it's okay. It's a discussion. Where it's going to evolve. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, to bring it back, I feel like it's nice to see that there's a level of, like, resurgence in, like, theater attendance. Absolutely. And I think, I like to hope that it will continue. I think... Um, It'll be interesting to see if it's if it extends beyond the stuff that like was just got pushed because of COVID. Yeah, you know, like because Quiet Place Two was supposed to come out like last February, right? February, Something March, twenty twenty. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to to watch what's um how shows shows how movies that weren't pushed perform in the box office. Yeah, I think that'll be the real uh, judge of what's what's really going on here. <laughs> Speaking of movie theaters, <laughs> nice, got nice. it, crushed it. Uh, AMC is in the news recently. Yes, I feel like I should like qualify that like I do own stock in AMC. In okay, this. like I feel like this is like one of those weird like oh yes I'm like a legitimate reporter kind of thing here, but like I uh, yeah like I, I I own stock in AMC. I have for a while, um, but they've had quite the year. So AMC is one of the largest, I think actually the largest uh, movie theater chain in the world. Uh, they have something like 950 theaters worldwide, mm-hmm. something like 1,500 screens. Yep. And like other theater companies the past like years, they've been having a, a bit of a hard time because theater attendance has been dropping, et cetera, because of streaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, but... I want to say about four or five months ago, amongst all of the GameStop, Reddit, uh, stock bonanza, yep. um, Wall Street, AMC Street. was also like a big part of that, and not on the same level as like the GameStop stuff, but like enough that like it, it garnered a lot of interest from online individual investors, and kind of to like jump ahead, like save the company to a degree, yeah. There's a couple big points to, to touch on in this. The first one being uh, there's a company called Wanda Film, um, which is a Chinese company that owned the majority stake in AMC uh, until recently, um, until I want to say it was like two, three weeks ago. I believe it was, yeah. When they sold their majority stake, it was uh, kind of crazy um, because... They made their all their money back because of like the the whole AMC like Reddit thing, um, and cashed out. And we're like, oh sweet, we can actually make a little bit of money on this and uh, bail out. And because of that, AMC is now majority owned by individual investors, by like people who own you know a hundred shares, fifty shares, whatever. There's no like ten million shareholder on it that can direct sort of where it goes which is kind of pretty fucking cool and they as a company have like responded in kind they're like uh they did a promotion where if you're a amc like stockholder uh you can sign up for their like investor like program or something and get like free popcorn when you go to the theaters and things like that um like advanced screening stuff yeah like things to reward individual investors and i don't know I, i think it's pretty fucking cool i think it's cool i mean it's now 80 percent owned by like private like retail investors which is yeah like w- normally like me yeah exactly and normally i feel like big corporations like this that's not normal to see as much of it just because there usually is one or two big uh entities that own this stuff and control the way that it's yeah. ran and all of that stuff yeah i mean i think it's really cool it's it what does Wanda now have like 10,000 shares? Yeah. Like 10,000, like 0.002% like, yeah. or something. Yeah. 
which is pretty cool. Like, and, and the thing I sort of, the thing that I keep coming back to that I think is the coolest part, thing about all of this is it's a massive shift in the way that AMC is like perceiving how they operate and like mm. what is important to them, you know, mm. like the fact that they're catering, that they're doing these investor programs and catering to more individual investors, like it's a big shift in how they're doing things, which is what they need in a mm. post COVID kind of world. Mm-hmm. Like if we, to tie back into what we were just kind of talking about, like if they came back and they were like, okay, like everything's just the same now. We're just going back to how movies were beforehand before COVID. Like you were not doing, it's not like COVID like sent you spiraling. It's like you, theater companies were not doing well. No. And like, you know, it's, it's kind of going back to the status quo isn't going to help you. And I think them being put in this position where they're like, Oh, like things are different now. Like let's look at things from a different direction or a different point of view. Like that's going to be really good for them overall because like that's the kind of like flexibility and like creative thinking that they're going to need to be like to continue to grow as a movie theater chain. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you you think? I feel like I'm talking a lot over here. It's like a stakeholders meeting. (laughs) No, that's okay. Um, I mean, I feel similarly about it. I think now more than ever, it's important to have a lot of people's uh, opinions voiced when it comes to how things should be ran, how things should be, you know, taken. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's, I think it's great. I'm not uh, someone who's super, invested in the stock market nor do i know a whole lot about it but from what i've gathered sure. it it can only mean good stuff for at least people who love movies cuz i think yeah that they're going to start catering like you said more towards people who are <laughs> like they want to bring people into the movies and people who are investing in movies yeah. now are people who like movies <laughs> because yeah, it's exactly you know and that can only be a good thing because, again, you need people who enjoy the stuff that you're trying to, um, like as a company, you need people who enjoy what you're doing to be a part of it to understand how to make it better for the the people who you're trying to please, essentially, like your customers. You need people exactly. who actually get it. And I think that's going to be, I think that's what's going to be happening now more than ever. Yeah. And it's like, it's a good thing because I feel like they're like looking at what makes a movie in a theater enjoyable in like a different lens. You know totally. what I mean? They're like, oh, like having, you know, a 3D IMAX movie for $29 or $45 or whatever is like probably not. And, I, you know, and I'm not suggesting that prices of movies are going to suddenly drop, but like, uh, like let's look at it from a different kind of angle, I think is something that's desperately needed because. Yeah. It wasn't working before, so absolutely. And I think you you linked an article about um, AMC raising money to try and save the ArcLight. Yes, which is a perfect example of that because that I don't think, and I get I, I guess I don't know when that took. Was that something that was like within the last week? They that were, was recently. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There was only um, what that was like. I think within the last week and a half or so. Okay. Because so yeah, the ArcLight and the and the Pacific uh, Cinemas. Um, are like famous, 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 legendary, yeah, legendary, like California theaters, um, which closed recently due to COVID, and like was kind of a blow for everybody who's ever you know been to a movie in LA. Pretty yep, much, literally. Like, <laughs> you know, it's for those who don't know, the ArcLight is uh the cinema in uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Uh, where Margot Robbie goes to see herself on screen. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's legendary. So it's like the idea that they are like, well, what if we like took ownership of this part of like cinema history makes an argument for them looking at it as part of like what it means to be a part of the cinema world as opposed to what it means to run a business. Exactly. Right, it's two hundred and thirty million dollars that they yeah. raised for this, and I don't know what they put in or if it was like a fundraiser type thing. But June either 5th. way, oh yeah, so it was two days ago. That yeah, this was like yeah, right. Um, 
And Sorry, so, go ahead. no, no, I was just saying, I was just saying that I don't know what they mean by raise, like whether or not they're going to do something like they're putting it, like, I don't know exactly what they mean by raise, but the fact that they're putting in, making an effort to do that shows that they really yeah. are like understanding more what people love about movie theaters. It's, it's a change in direction yeah. from what they were doing, which I think is like, yeah, like what they need. Yeah. And it's not just a, like a, oh, we're just going to save this thing. It's a big, it's a big ask. Yeah. Like it's hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's not just a small little thing. And, and asking yeah, and the it, investors to, you know, raise like money. the argument, like not the argument, but like the idea that it's like, like it's not on the surface, a super busy, a super business savvy move. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you like theaters are losing money, like that's how it is. Yeah. Like these things close for a reason, but like the fact that AMC is like, this might not be the most economically correct choice, but this is going to be correct for what are now majority sure shareholders want. Yeah. Is a really good mentality. And I'm super excited about it. And it really makes me want to join AMC stubs. Yes, dude, do it. Just do it. You, you, you know, there's not an AMC around here. Well, then don't do it because it won't I know. be worth well, it. Well, yeah. There's, <laughs> but- a, there's, there's a showcase. Uh, oh, okay. But Which has like a similar thing to AMC stubs. Oh, okay. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like the same kind of thing. You can go see like five movies a month for like 30 bucks or something like that. But Oh, that's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, classic like call response. Like, I'm, of course, they have something like that. Of course. Yeah. Um, but it's um, they're betting that you're not the one who's going to get it because you and me are the ones who they're not going to yeah. make money off of. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've exploited that that system so So maybe much. I should get a showcase one to like take money out of their pockets so that more people got, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't know <laughs> if that works. That'd be a that'd be kind of an evil move. A a de- evil move. <laughs> Spe- uh <laughs> Devel? Devel? Sure. Devil? Sure. Devil. Devil. Evil. Devil. I would have gone with evil too even though Yeah. Apparently Cruella shouldn't is shouldn't be considered evil, but we're on to Cruella now, guys. Okay, yes. so if you hadn't gathered that from from that, um, we're now moving on to yet another live action remake, or not? Uh, okay, it's not actually a remake; it's a prequel to 101 Dalmatians. Yes, which is it is just about the basically the backstory of Cruella Deville, which yes. I you know why they made this i i don't really know i've heard that it's pretty good to be honest but yeah i've heard it's fine i do love me some emma stone love her fantastic um, even though she wasn't at the oscars this year nope hashtag four episode callback yep <laughs> but well i don't know let's let's start with each other like what's your opinion because we're, we're talking two tiers here so there's like the same kind of universe kind of thing that the corella is of like here's a, a, an elaboration on like a backstory uh and then there's the here is Aladdin in live action or here is Mulan in live action. Like, where do you land on these? So when it comes to straight up remakes, like when we're talking The Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, I and, and it's specifically with the Disney property stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't like it because it's doesn't feel genuine to me because it's not. Yeah. And a lot of the times it doesn't work because... The Lion King was animated for a reason, and it was animated that specific way for a reason. Like it was. You, you've walked right into the comment I've wanted to make since you put this on the breakdown. <laughs> of uh, the Lion King remake was also animated. Yes, yes. Which, which <laughs> I actually put that in my notes, but but they call it the live action remake. Be- yes, because it's they tried to mimic reality more i think that's why yeah. they call it the live action yeah movie. they look like real lions yes they're not like cartoons exactly exactly which doesn't fucking work with that yeah. stuff it's it's it was animated in that way for a reason because it needed that extra exaggerated larger than life stuff to happen yeah for it to be entertaining yeah <laughs> and then have you seen the the live action quote unquote live action Lion King? I have not seen the live action Lion King. Have Um, you seen any like clips from it or anything? I've seen, yeah, I've seen a few things. It's fucking weird. Weird, right? It's weird. It's like, 
animals acting in the way that animals don't act and talking and like all this kind of stuff, which works in an animated like realm because there's a suspension of disbelief and like, yeah, it's a fucking cartoon. Like I feel like, like in so much of this, the phrase, the phrase, the word cartoon doesn't get like used. Yeah. There's like animated versus, but like, it's a cartoon. It like, is. Yeah. You know, I feel like that gives a better, if you look at the Lion King, it's like there's the cartoon Lion King and the live action Lion King or the cartoon Lion King and the CG Lion King. Like, right. It gives a better like reference point. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things I can see the argument and we're getting back into that like financial kind of like world. Like I can see the argument for a live action Lion King. Yeah. Because, and I like Lion King being like an amazing animated film aside Jungle Book worked for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like Jungle Book, Lion King, very similar kind of situation, kind of realm. So I can see the argument. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. You know, which is like what really worries me about like things coming up, like The Little Mermaid, which is going to have like talking fish and things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and then what's the other one that's coming? Uh, I had this open a minute ago. Hold on. Another Disney property? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, it's it's interesting. I'm like, are there ones out there that are, like, is anyone doing this that's not Disney? Or is this a Disney exclusive kind of situation? Um, I think it's probably mostly Disney. Although, like, what would, the, what, what DreamWorks, would that would be the only other one that has done, like, cru well, I guess that's not true. I Cruel think it's. I mean, Cruella's Disney. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, Maleficent, which is like the precedent oh, yeah. for Cruella, was also Disney, you know, yeah. like, um, but I, I can't think of anybody out there that's doing like a live adaptation of like a classic, like animated film. I feel like it's solely Disney being like, hey, we have this huge back catalog that we can remake. Right. And like make fresh and, and put out there. Um, but is it, is it, do they want it to be, who's, who is it for? Like, is, are, are you trying to update this for an audience that of 2021? Or are you trying to get people who saw The Lion King back in 94, whenever it came out? Um, do you want to bring them back to the theater? Because that's two different trains of thought there. I would argue that the thought process behind it is we will get the adults that are getting swept up in the nostalgia about it. Mm -hmm. And they will bring their young children. Because, like, Lion King came out in, like, what, 1995? Yeah, something like that. You, you know what I mean? So, like, you're, you're, like, you know, the people who are, ha are ki who have kids at this point, and I'm generalizing, like, don't <laughs> scream at me if you're, like, I've had... Yeah. Uh, but, like, the people that have kids that are of, like, ages that are going to appreciate, like, Mulan or The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or Jungle Book or whatever in a live-action thing... Like, are the people, they would have been right around the age that they'd appreciated the original animated versions. Absolutely. That being said, like, and again, I don't have kids. Um, I, For the first time. I'm, I'm not again. I haven't said that before. I don't have kids. <laughs> Once again, um, stop asking me. I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any of these. I haven't seen any of the live action, re action remakes. Not one. Like, literally not one. I haven't seen one of them. Mulan was the first one that I was like, oh yeah, all right, yeah. but I haven't seen Mulan. Me neither. But I honestly think that might have been because of the whole like, yeah, it's available on Disney Plus, but you have to pay thirty dollars. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And then I never paid attention to when the date that you could watch it for free was. And then I don't know, maybe I'll go watch it. Mulan was one of the first ones that I was actually kind of interested in. Yeah, me too. And I think part of the reason that I didn't see it on top of the whole paying for it uh, for the first like 20 days or whatever is the fact that there's such a stigma around these types of films that I'm like, do I want to subject myself yeah. to something that might make me hate Mulan as a, as a thing? Yeah. And I just don't... And honestly, the, the reason that I, I thought that Mulan looked better is because they weren't doing... They weren't trying to do a one-for-one one exactly the same thing. Yeah, like with Aladdin, I was like, "What is this? What are we doing here?" It wasn't that Guy Ritchie. Aladdin directed by Guy Ritchie. What the? F Which what? makes no sense whatsoever. What the hell is that? Like that makes I no like, sense. <laughs> I I remember when I first read that, like for like probably a good half hour, being like, "All right, 
let me like try and rationalize this. Like I'm an executive, like what is the argument that I have that's like, let's get Guy Ritchie <laughs> to direct an Aladdin live action. And like the only thing I could come up with was like that opening scene when he's like steals a loaf of bread and it's getting chased through like the streets of Agrabah. Sure. You know, could be Guy Ritchie-esque. Sure. You know, but that's I, I I compare it to like the um the scenes going through the streets of uh in the gentleman. Yeah. You know, like Absolutely. there's there's a parallel there, sure. Sure. Um, but that's like three minutes of a fucking ninety minute movie. Yeah. And the rest of it makes no sense coming from Guy Ritchie. So I I don't know, we're getting off the track here. But like Yes, yes. Um and then we can get into the whole Will Smith as uh Oh Lord the I'm... genie, but no we shouldn't go in there i have thoughts about that i think actually will smith was probably the only reasonable replacement for robin williams Robin Williams. um but we don't have to go into that yeah i honestly haven't put any thought into it so i i i would be yeah i mean i i there's no one else at all who i would i mean someone who could be that like have that much charisma, character yeah. charisma built into it that could deliver something that like i mean no one will ever be what robin williams but like no yeah like name someone that you'd be like oh you know who else would do that really well not jim carrey <laughs> yeah um to go back to your original original question to to steer it more towards cruella since it's not yes. technically a direct adaptation yeah I'm more on board for this type of thing because it's not banking. It's it's completely banking off of nostalgia, which which I'm okay with, and we're seeing something new with yes. an original with an original story. Like there was no backstory to Cruella from what I've yeah. read, so I can appreciate that a lot more and respect it a lot more. And if it's done really well, that's great. But at the same time, this movie didn't have to be Cruella. It could have been an original movie. Yes, which probably would have been better to a point because it wouldn't have this baggage along with it yeah and here's my thing is like so like i'm i agree with what you're saying and i think like maleficent was like a, a good example kind of of that of like let's give a, a like actually really like deep backstory to this otherwise evil character yeah. and hey let's get willis talking about musicals again <laughs> uh the the musical wicked is a fantastic like background on the wicked witch of the west from the wizard of oz and it gives a whole level of depth to that character and like you know what that means cruella i have a really hard time with because i can't root for a character when i know that their end their end like where this character is gonna end up is them being cool with the idea of skinning puppies it's like an unforgivable thing like <laughs> That's a bad person. Yep. It's like, yeah. Like that to me just ends in a place of like, I want you to be redeemable, but you want to skin puppies. Right. So you, you no, you know what I mean? Like Wicked turned into a whole thing of like, she's just misunderstood. And it's like, there were a whole other things going on, but like Cruella wanted to skin. Pu and like, I'm sure there are a bunch of villains out there that, I could definitely get on board with of like, there's more backstory to this about why they are the way that they are. Yeah. Like, I feel like to bring it back to, I feel like Ursula would be a really interesting thing. Yeah. Um, I don't throw out other Disney movies here. Um, Hades from, uh, yeah, Hercules, from Hercules, which is just like Greek myth, you know, like, Oh, where that story at? That could be sick. That could be awesome. Hades. Yeah, that that could be really awesome. And the whole story of like how he like originally like I guess enslaves is like the really the only word, but like enslaves yeah. Megra. Yeah. Sidebar, I I Hercules is probably by far my favorite animated Disney movie. Nice. And I am desperately desperately waiting for a live action adaptation of that. Cuz that if could for no other, that could work. If for no other reason than I really want it to be Chris Pratt and Aubrey Plaza. Oh my god! Because it's legit. That is just the, like their relationship in, uh, in Parks and Rec. But yeah, yeah. Oh my! Now I now this has it's to so happen. perfect. It's like like think about that and then go watch an episode of Parks and Rec and it's like yeah. oh yeah that's Hercules and Meg. Oh my god! Okay, this now needs to happen. 
Yeah. This needs to happen. Um, I think I think it's it's coming, and I think they've cast it, and it's not that. But um, oh, I remember reading something. I don't remember if it was confirmed or not, but okay. there was somebody in the running, and I was like, boo. And I feel like, and this is yeah, a little bit off, but Hercules is one of those ones that would work, in my opinion, as it could work as a live action adaptation a lot more because it's based on people, well, gods, but humans yeah like yeah. humanoid things versus like creatures or animals or things that just don't yeah. exist in real life like they are in those movies well the interesting thing too is like i i'm really curious what disney's mentality is for what they're gonna live action remake mm. because i know there's like hercules is like on the docket mm-hmm. but like I know we're getting Cruella and then we're getting supposedly Little Mermaid is like the end of 2021, but I don't know if they've started shooting yet. But then the next one is The Sword in the Stone. Yep. Which is like not a well-known Disney animated film. No, it's great. It's fantastic. It's so good, but it's like it's one of those like I can name probably four or five before I'm like, oh, and then The Sword in the Stone. Mm. You know what I mean? So like what are they kind of like – that is it like a nostalgia thing if it's like they're dipping into like lesser known properties or is it a money grab i think well so since they started with the big ones like the lion king and mm-hmm. aladdin to to a certain extent it could be them testing the waters and seeing like can we make cash on something like the sword in the stone where people uh, mo- not most people but a lot of people don't know about it yeah and maybe it's one that they're not going to throw because that's not one that you, you have to throw a crazy amount of uh, money at, I don't think, to make it a reality versus yeah. something like the fucking Lion King movie, which is 100% CG and all these yeah. crazy voice actors in it. And it's just, you know, I'm sure it was a money suck. Um, so maybe I, it's probably financial. It's it's all financial. Well, the, the only qualifier I'll make is like the sword in the stone is a Thurian legend. Like, everybody knows about Merlin and Arthur and the, like, you know, Knights of the Round Table and all that kind of stuff. Right. So there's, like, a, I guess, a level of built-in knowledge in, like, the zeitgeist. But, like, it's still, like, like Pinocchio. Yeah. You know? Like. Well, yeah. Like a new, like a new revamped Pinocchio. (laughs) Because they they did a. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a level to which all of these have to be like, yeah, so, like, not that terrible part. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which I, that's, that was, the, I'm going to have to watch Mulan now that we're talking about it, Cause Me like, too. that was the big thing I was curious. Cause I was like, Mulan had some seriously like 2021, not okay. Kind of stuff. Oh yeah. That I, I think they pretty substantially addressed. Um, I think so. I think they eliminated a couple characters just like full on to be like, yeah, no, nah, that was probably not okay. Right. Right. <laughs> not that Mushu was one of the ones that was not okay. Right. Right. <laughs> not okay with the fact that there's no Mushu, but of course. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. I we're we're gonna get a lot more of these movies, so Yeah, they're gonna keep coming for the next, you know, twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty years. Yep. Whether we like it or not. And we'll have to deal with it. I hope they get better as time goes on. They start figuring out what works and what doesn't in terms of yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh speaking of something that really didn't work. <laughs> nice. See, I felt you set that one up. I didn't, but now I was scrolling as I was talking, so I didn't. I was like, oh, <laughs> speaking of things that will or not will not work, let's talk about director's cuts. Let's talk about director's cuts. We talk about Zack Snyder an awful lot on this show, and mm-hmm. it goes both ways. Some good stuff, a lot Mostly of bad that. stuff. And in 2011, Zack Snyder... <sighs> is this Wait, is this his only... Besides Army of the Dead, was this his only original... Like yes, he so it. we're talking about the film Sucker Punch. Yeah, I didn't even want to say it. <laughs> Sucker Punch is save for Army of the Dead, and I don't know that Army of the Dead is not based on it. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen Army of the Dead yet, but like pre Army of the Dead, Sucker Punch is the only directed by Zack Snyder movie that is not based on some kind of graphic novel. Yes, three hundred graphic novel. Watchmen. Watchmen, graphic novel, all of the Batman, Superman kind of things, you know, 
comics. Well, actually, he, uh, his first movie, the the Dawn of the Dead remake, was uh, was based on the uh, the Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so, yes, but which which was also originally a comic. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Jesus, man, he really okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, why don't you talk for a minute, Josh? So, Sucker Punch. Tell us about Sucker Punch. Yes. Sucker Punch is. And I only remember very little about it. It's a mess of a film in the writing, in every aspect of it, essentially. But apparently, there was a lot that was cut out from it. Now, do you remember the like the major plot points? And is there anything that could have really saved it that they cut out? Do you think, in terms of it being a successful movie at all? Okay, so. I don't think so. Sucker Punch, in my head, stands as probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yes. There are movies in my head that I'm like, that movie was terrible. But in the back of my head, I'm like, well, maybe I just wasn't like in the right mind space for it. Or like, I I benefit of the doubt kind of thing. No, like Sucker Punch is terrible. Awful. It is a mess. It is. The writing is... Like, it feels like a film school film. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the major plot points that I remember are inconsequential. Like, like it's here's a very basic, like, storyline that is then punctuated by these huge tentpole action scenes that are Zack Snyder being Zack Snyder. Yep. I do remember when it came out that there was a lot of talk about Things being cut and things being like, like I think Janelle Maloney, is that her name? I don't. I honestly don't know. Uh, Who is an actress that has worked with him a lot was completely cut out of the film. You know, like you know, there's whole kind of things to this, and I remember that, and I, I, I can't for the life of me imagine a point where I'm like, you know what? Like I feel like something was cut out of that. The whole thing just feels like it was weak writing from the beginning mm-hmm. that now people are like, oh, well, but like studio interference. Right, right. Oh, I guess so. We should clarify that apparently, and who knows if this is going to actually happen or not. There there might be a director's cut uh, that's coming for Sucker Punch off the heels of the Snyder cut and Army of the Dead. And Zack Snyder's had a lot of momentum behind him over the past yeah. couple months. So this is... Why anyone is asking for this makes no sense to me. Like maybe it was him just going like, "We had a lot that we should have put into this, and it, the movie is way better." You know, in my yeah. in my head. But I mean, I just don't see a world where, unless you did a, unless it was a different movie, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's still going to be really, really bad, and that begs the question of. Well, do you outwardly seek out director's cuts of films that you like love, or do you just kind of like studio like see the theatrical um, Because I really don't that often. It it not really. I'm like trying to think of films that I've like seen a director's cut for. Mm-hmm. Um, and fuck, I didn't like. I had two in my head, and I just realized, but. Uh, the only two I can think of is Gladiator and Blade Runner, which are both Ridley Scott movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I have seen Blade Runner. Yeah, the director's cut. Did you just have to remember that you've seen Blade Runner? No, the director's cut of Blade Runner. Okay, <laughs> fuck, dude. <laughs> no, no, damn. no. I see Blade Runner like once a year. <laughs> um, but like, so Blade Runner is like the classic like counter like argument for this whole uh sucker punch thing because blade runner there's been like six different cuts of it yeah and each of them has its own kind of thing and like ridley scott has will never let blade runner go like you know he's always been like oh well there was this but there was this i wanted to put this part in but then if that put that if i put that part in that part didn't work so like i kept that part in and that one and you know yeah um but like blade runner is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made and i think the director's cut of Blade Runner certainly adds a lot to it. Yes. Do I think that director's cuts are always going to be like a better, like add a lot to the film? No. 
there's such an argument to be made of like, yeah, like a director does this thing, but like, it's not just a director that makes a movie. There are plenty of people that add to it and help refine it and help make it better. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think it's something that like, I think if the Snyder cut of justice league hadn't happened, no one would ever say like, Oh, we should get a sucker punch director's cut. I think it's momentum on his shit that like, isn't going to be necessary. Definitely not. Definitely not. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I kind of like went on a little ramble there, but like, I'll put it this way. I think like when there's a theatrical release, that has heavy studio manipulation and like isn't the vision that the director intended. Absolutely. I think there's a level to which you can feel that if what's been cut is something that adds, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If it's, Oh yeah, I want these three scenes in there. And those three scenes are just like exposition on a small part of the backstory that doesn't really come into play. Like, That's not going to help. I don't know. I'm very torn on it. I don't think director's cuts as a whole are super helpful. I don't know. I'm rambling. What do you think? (laughs) That's okay. I I feel the same way to a certain extent. I think that uh, filmmaking is a collaborative effort and it never falls on one person. And you need someone there to be like, no, this is stupid or this doesn't make sense. Or we need to, you know, rework something. Even like... People like Tarantino have other people there to keep him in check. Like his yeah. editors, like they are the only ones who can say, like, no, we're not going to do this and make it work. That being said, I think that the art of filmmaking is like when it comes to directing, there's a clear vision in every, hopefully, there's a clear vision in most directors' minds when they're going into making a film. Mm-hmm. And I always like to see what that is no matter what, even if it turns out to be bad or good. So I think that there is like value to having a director's cut, but it doesn't always make it better. I think that we see interference. What? Let me, let me ask this. Like, how do you define a director's cut? Well, I guess this is just me thinking of what I, I assume it is. It's there. It's, a cut that they have their final say on completely without having a producer or studio come in and say, no, we want to change this and, you know, switch things around. I, that's just, do you consider it like, um, a, like a studio coming in saying we're cutting these scenes or this doesn't work or like this kind of stuff. Or is it like a studio saying this performance doesn't fit let's like reshoot this let's like remake this let's rehash this character like you know what i mean like Mm. is it beyond just cut scenes or like and like a change in the actual storyline or is it just like them coming and being like that like this film has to be you know like 200 minutes long not 300 minutes long i think it's a mixture of all those things. Like when I heard that Ben Affleck's version of the town was four and a half hours long, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to see that regardless of how good it is. Mm-hmm. So I, and I, so I think that, or like Tarantino's five hour or like 10 hour cut of Inglorious Bastards or whatever. Or the, um, the, uh, the hateful eight, which was like, yeah, they released and it was like, Oh, here's a five episode thing or four right. episode thing that each of them is two hours long. Like, yeah. Right. So I guess I don't have a real definition for it, but I, but from the way that I think about it, it's just the purest form of that director's vision. Yeah. On you know whatever we can get of that on on screen, whether or not they've shot it or not, because when it comes to stuff like the Fantastic Four movie with Josh Trank, like the did you see that one? Because the ending was that was the that was a perfect example of studio interference. Yeah. Because the whole the last twenty minutes had to be completely reshot because they were like, no, we need to have it be different. Yeah, um, and the movie suffered because of it. I think maybe had there been a a different ending or we'd seen the director's cut, it could have been better. So, yeah, I guess I don't have a specific definition. I think I just like to see like a pure vision of of a pro- of a project. Because yeah. a lot of times when you're picking and choosing and there's twelve people, it's it's really kind of like a Frankenstein of a bunch of things. And there needs to be someone at the end of the day saying, this is the way it should be, and this is the way that I want it to be. 
and just getting to see that out because they choose directors for a reason i assume sure like when you when they hired edgar wright to do ant-man i wish he did it i'm uh. like they chose him for a reason and i would have loved to see that movie yeah in his purest, and I think they would have given, well, they didn't give him full creative control, which is why he left in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I just, I like to see that pure vision. Well, the interesting thing that, that we're kind of like dancing around on this too is like, is there a separation between like a director's cut of something that's based on like intellectual property and a director's cut of something that's based on a director's vision like so like you talk mm. about like the fantastic four and that's obviously something that's going to have a lot of studio interference because it's a it's a highly valued ip for them like yeah. here's something that oh yeah like these last two ones sucked we have to get this right haha right. like let's get in there and make sure it's good whereas you talk about like well i guess the perfect example here is Zack snyder's justice league versus Zack snyder's sucker punch yeah the interference on Justice League was likely due to Warner Brothers wanting to protect Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and their their IP. Whereas like the cuts and the interference on Sucker Punch was likely because it's not an established character was likely on an attempt to make the movie better. True. And I put that in the same vein as like the town and things like that of like trying to make it more not necessarily better, but like more digestible and more like advertise advertisable. Well, something that they, they don't mind putting their name on and being like, this is of our studio. Yeah, totally. I don't really think there should be a difference. I think that like when it comes to, and I think the Snyder cut is a perfect example of that. When it comes to intellectual property, that's I, I think everyone brings their own stuff to the table when it comes yeah. to that's when it comes to filmmaking. So and for me nothing is really sacred anymore cuz you know we've had everyone's hands in the pots for all of these like legendary IPs that have kind of just started to crumble like Star Wars and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm more in the camp of just let them do their thing, like hire someone good, let them do their thing and just kind of see where it lands. Yeah. Like don't don't try and manipulate the way people are, are going to view it. If they like the filmmaker, odds are they're going to enjoy the film. That's just how it is. I I feel like when yeah. I see a Wes Anderson movie, I don't care what the hell the story is. I love all of them. Sure. Like almost equally. Yeah. Same with Tarantino and you know stuff like that. So. I don't know. I just like to protect that kind of stuff, or I think I think there should be more of a like a, a focus when it comes to that because when we see stuff like the Snyder cut we realize that okay his vision while it's not a perfect vision or anything it was way better than what we ended up getting sure and whether that was a good thing or not i think that people are putting more of a focus on oh this guy i think he knows what he's doing when it comes to this stuff so let's just let him do what he needs to do which is how nolan gets stuff made a yes. lot and you know though i will say the argument there is let's see what he can do because he knows what he's doing with this kind of stuff is like with Zack Snyder it's like yeah as long as it's some kind of uh pre-existing material which is why I'm like Sucker Punch is like never gonna be better no and I do think Snyder is like the, the the like the Snyder cut is kind of a flash in the pan like I think that Watchmen as a whole is not a good movie yeah I like a lot of aspects of it and I like the casting that's pretty much it about that film that I like. It's too long. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So I think that like... Would you I, watch a director's cut of Watchmen? I would. I would, yeah. I absolutely would, actually. I don't know if there is one, but I, I would. I, I'm, well, so that's like the weird thing with this is like if you can argue there's a director's cut of like Sucker Punch, mm-hmm. you could argue there's a director's cut of every Snyder film that he's done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because like... I feel like, and this may, uh, we're getting very specific into him now, but like, <laughs> like he is a director who does long things that get yes. cut down because like, I think of, uh, the final fight scene in man of steel that is like 40 minutes long. Yes. It's like a third of the movie. And you're like, I remember watching that movie with my family and 
like them just being like, wait, this fight scene's still going on. <laughs> yeah. There's a level to which it's like, yeah. at what point are his cuts studio interference? And at what point are they like helping to rein him in to like make his stories more concise? I don't know. Right, like cleaning it up. Yeah. True, true. No, I, I feel you. And like Michael Bay would be another example of someone that you might not want to just give yes. all the control to because that's how you get six underground. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. No, I that's, yeah, I agree with that. So I guess like where I'm coming back down to all of this is like director's cuts, like sure for some directors. Well, I think there's, sh- they should always be allowed, granted it takes a lot of extra money to do that, but I think they should always be allowed the opportunity that's ve- that's putting it very like blase but like i think that it i would like to see that just because there there might be a way that they saw it that didn't come across on screen and things that you know i don't know i just think that i, I like seeing where people are coming from in its entirety that's fair that's fair so you'd watch an extended version of the one with jetly i <laughs> No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Unless, no, no, I wouldn't. I, it's dependent on director. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. But I think that they should all be given the, the opportunity to get out what they, what they wanted to get out. <laughs> all right. Legit. Yes. And yeah, I think w- with that, that's, that's what we got to talk about today. Yeah. That was, that was, hey, we're doing better. Yeah. I feel like that felt quicker. It did. Yeah. Because now we can go back into the AC soon. I know. I was going to say, now we can just go right I'm definitely back. sweating. I'm sweating a lot. Let's just get right into the recommendations then this sure. week. What, uh, well, what do you well, have this week? All right. Well, you I'll, want me to I'll, go? Yeah, you go first. Why not? Okay, I'll go. Um, so my recommendation is going to come in the form of another series that is fantastic. It's called Future Man. It nice. is a Hulu show. It's only three seasons. The last season came out last year. It is executive produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, stars Josh Hutcherson as a janitor who basically, he beats an unbeatable video game that was a test to see if he he's the chosen one to save you know humanity and the universe and stuff, and insane, hilarious things ensue. Um, definitely, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it's definitely rated R, because there's oh, some yeah. seriously, seriously mature stuff going on in there. But it's it's hilarious and um, it's nice and short, so you don't have to you know you're not going to be watching it for 13 weeks or anything like that. So yeah, I would definitely check it out. It's on Hulu. Nice. So be prepared for some ads. I, uh, I I saw that it was it's the um, it's what's his name from uh, the Hunger Games. Which one? Oh, the older guy. The no, the main character. Oh oh yeah, Josh Hutcherson. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. yeah Peter. Yeah yeah yeah. Did you yes. say that? Yes, I did. Oh. Well, I didn't say Peter, but I said Josh Hutcherson. Um, but yes, it's he's hilarious, and everyone in it is hilarious. Definitely worth checking out. Nice. What is your recommendation, Willis? My recommendation is also a series nice. uh, that is currently in its second season. Nice. Uh, it's an Apple TV or an Apple Plus uh, show called Mythic Quest, which is probably one of my favorite shows that's on right now it's created by uh rob mcelhaney of uh well it's created by rob mcelhaney and charlie day of uh it's always sunny in philadelphia um and it's about a silicon valley game company called mythic quest uh that you know and their various goings on it's it's somewhat silicon valley-esque in its in its narrative i i recommend the show but also in each season now, they've done a, a single episode that exists like outside of the storyline. That's just kind of like a background episode. Okay. And both of them have been directed by Rob McElhaney and are some of the most amazing storytelling I've seen in a long time. Damn. Um, there's two episodes. The, the one in the in the first season is called A Dark Quiet Death. And the one in the second story is called Backstory. And it has to do with a degree to the to the show, but as standalone stories, they're absolutely incredible. Like the depth and breadth of the characters that it creates in just like a forty minute episode is out of control. Um, and I, I can't. I just I just watched the um, the the standalone of the second season just came out last week, and it's absolutely incredible. Damn. Okay. I know. Yeah. I would. I would highly recommend. Even if you like, don't dig on. You know, Rob McElhaney and and it's always sunny, um, which makes you a you know 
insane person but like yeah it's worth just like i don't know the depth that they create is absolutely crazy um it really 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 makes me want a feature length like drama from rob mclaney oh man okay i gotta watch this wait can i get apple tv plus not on apple tv I think you can do like a, a a free like couple weeks or whatever okay. to sign up for it. And it's like like this show alone, and it just came back. It's like the the backstory episode that was last week was the sixth one of the of the season. Um, okay, but again, they're only, I think they're only like nine or ten episode seasons. But oh, okay, um, it's so good, man. It's so good. Damn, I gotta watch it. I've heard I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I love yeah. Rob and Charlie. So yeah, yeah, Damn. and and um, Sweet D. Too. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what's her? Uh, what's her name? Um, Caitlin Olson. Y- yes. Yes. Does that sounds almost wrong? They're married. Uh, Sweet D and and Rob are married yes, now, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Caitlin Olson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Caitlin Olson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like she's uh, she's on. She's not in it, but she she works on it too, and it, it it's so good. Oh, that's awesome. Good recommendations, and uh, cool, man. that's gonna bring us to the end of the episode yeah bring it home let's uh let's do our our normal hilarious uh outro yeah <laughs> uh josh where can people find you online people can find me um on instagram at josh j fuller and i'll guess i'll plug my twitter at josh oh, fuller 33 there's no e in fuller though so that's if you want to follow me on twitter i'll be i'll be there was that was that intentional or did you misspell your name when you were signing up for Twitter? Honestly, I don't remember. It was like a 2009, so I have no idea. I don't know. All right. But that's it right. is what it is. I'm going to assume you spelled your name wrong. That, that's that's we'll fine. We'll just go from there. <laughs> uh, you can find me. My name is Willis. You can find me on Instagram at Willis Film. Uh, also on Twitter at Willis Film. And uh, yeah, Pixel Splitters is on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um at Pixel Splitters on Instagram and at Pixel Split Pod on Twitter, and we got those those two tweets out there. Um, we got a little bit of momentum and then uh, rested on our laurels of tweeting twice. So it's fine. It's fine. You know, all the all the all the major players uh, only tweet sporadically. So exactly, we're just following the trend. Yeah, and it's working for us. You know, <laughs> I don't think we have any followers yet. No, it's I follow us. I follow, yeah, well, we follow, dude, be cool, damn. <laughs> Chill. Yeah, we follow us, but also you should follow us at Pixel Split Pod on Twitter so we can have friends. Yeah, that'd be nice. On that on that positive, positive note, uh, let's uh, let's close it down. Good talking to you, and thank you, yeah. everyone, for, uh, for listening today. For listening, yay. yay.